You are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note, the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. Hello, I'm Bex Elder and welcome back to Where Your Treasure Is and part two of financial planning for key life stages. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, this is the moment to pause, listen to that episode and then come straight back here. And I'm Simon Glazier and I have just gone back to listen to our last episode to remind myself where we got to and also to make sure that we cover the rest of the life stages before the end of this episode. Well, Simon, that makes you incredibly on the ball and prepared for this episode. So seeing as it's fresh in your mind, could you give us a quick summary of what we covered last time so we can keep going? Sure. So I started with something called the Pepsi principle, P-E-P-S-I, which stands for protection, emergency fund, pension, savings and investments. And we kind of covered off the first few of those with our first life stage of starting out. And I'm sure you want to give us much more detail on each of those, but we need to keep going with life stage number two, which is starting a family. So what are the key things to consider at that life stage? Okay, so for the purposes of this episode, I'm going to define starting a family in two different ways. Uh, The first one is entering into uh, a lifelong relationship, which from a Christian perspective would typically mean getting married. And then the second perspective is having children. So starting a family with a spouse, starting a family with children. And very simply, I'm going to say this, having worked with many couples during my career, it has become very clear to me that those who share their finances, have joint bank accounts, a joint budget, who share an understanding with each other of their values and their goals when it comes to money are typically, on average, better stewards of the family resources. Money is one of the major causes of conflict within relationships, within marriages. And so trying to get this right at the very start of a relationship can have huge benefits going forward. And we will dig into that much more in a future episode. So that's part one of starting a family with a spouse. But what about having children? Okay, children are expensive. I mean, they're really expensive. Uh, Ask any parent. But according to the Bible, actually, children are also an incredible blessing. Uh, I'll quote from Psalm 127. and I'm going to quote from the message version here. It says this. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers full of children. So children are brilliant but they are expensive. And actually what it does is it brings us back to that foundational principle of the Pepsi principle, which is now is the time to really consider your need for protection. Consider this, what happens to your family? What happens to your children if the unexpected happens? If you die unexpectedly, if you're taken ill unexpectedly, something that stops you from working. So maybe it's time to take out some life assurance some income protection or some critical illness insurance as a precautionary step to make sure that your family are provided for if you can no longer provide for them or if your spouse can no longer provide for them. And and to work out how much insurance you might need, you ask that question, what happens if? What happens if I die? That's how much money you need to replace and provide life insurance. What happens if I can't work? 
for a period of months or even the long term. That's the kind of figure you need to work out how much income protection or critical illness insurance you might need in that moment. Considering those kind of questions and answers will help you understand how much protection you might need. So protection seems key in that life stage, but what about life stage three, your first job? What do you need to know if you're just entering the workplace for the first time? Okay, I've pulled out a few things here um, in no particular order. Number one, understand tax. Now, I'm not talking about the whole tax system. It's massively complicated. I don't think any one person understands the whole thing. But the basic principle is this. When you earn money through employment, through a job, through self-employment, you don't always get to keep it all. So at the time that we're recording this, and it's the 2022-23 tax year, the first £12,570 that you earn is not taxed. And after that, you then start to pay tax but at lower rates. It's about 20%, depends if you're in England or in Scotland, until you reach a, a higher rate tax threshold when the tax rate suddenly jumps up towards 40% or 41% in Scotland. And actually, it can go higher than that if you are a very high earner. So some of that income is going to the taxman. In addition, you will also pay some national insurance on your earnings. And that you pay all the way through your working life until you reach state pension age. And the money that is being taken from you, whether it's through tax or whether it's through national insurance and the rates at which you pay it and the times which you pay it, they change, they vary. But that money is used to pay for things like health for the nation and welfare for the nation. It pays for the education of our children. It pays for the transport network and it pays for the state pension, looking after those who've reached the end of their working lives. Um, and we as a country, we as a nation still provide something for them amongst many other things that are provided by that kind of money. Okay, so understanding tax is the first essential. What else do I need to know? Okay, number two. So now that you're earning, and, and in this life stage, you're earning for the first time, or possibly you're earning real money, not just a part-time job or a paper round, which was my first job many, many moons ago, you, you run the risk of letting your spending always grow to match your income or actually grow to beyond your income. And we spoke about that in the negative money episodes and about debt. Here's the moment in life when just maybe your income is actually growing faster than your natural ability to spend it. And so it's a great opportunity to consider putting some of that money aside. Can you start to build that emergency fund, the E in the Pepsi principle, putting money aside for a future emergency, and also the S, the savings, putting money aside for future expenditure. And there are some natural things you might want to put money aside for. It's like getting your first house and building a deposit. It's planning so that you can pay for Christmas and birthdays, not on the credit card, for example, but out of money you've already saved up for. Or maybe you want to buy a car one day or go on a big holiday. You can set aside money for those kind of things. And at this life stage, just maybe you haven't yet committed a large amount of monthly money to a mortgage or rental payments. Maybe the children haven't yet come along and, and those two things eat up a vast amount of your income. You'll find it much easier setting aside money in that early life stage and building the habit 
of setting aside money. And if you can build the habit now, it will grow with you for the rest of your life. And then while I'm on the topic of setting money aside, the third essential piece of understanding at this first life stage is actually a basic understanding of pensions. I'm quite surprised pensions is where you went there. I would have thought when, you know, if you're in your 20s, you're not going to need your pension for maybe 40, 50 years later. That's not something you need to think about at that stage. So ask anybody at the other end of their working lives about pensions, and they'll probably tell you that I wish I had thought about it a lot earlier on. Um, Yes, pensions become crucial much later in life and the point when you want to retire. But starting to think about pensions, even just understand what they are and that you've got one, become really important at every working stage in life. So if I could define as simply as possible what a pension is, a pension is deferred income. You take some of what you're earning now and you set it aside to live off when you can no longer work, whether that's just due to age or possibly due to health as well. Now, the great news is, certainly in the UK, that most people will get their very first pension the moment they get their first job. And it's something called auto-enrolment. The company you work for will almost definitely have a pension scheme and you will be automatically enrolled into it. And it's well worth joining for almost everybody because, number one, you don't pay any tax on the money you put into your pension. So whereas I mentioned before, normally you don't get to keep all your money. Some of it goes to the tax man. When you allocate money into your pension at this stage in life, you get that tax back. It never gets taken off you in reality. And the second thing is that your employer is also obliged to put money into your pension for you. So when you put some in and get taxed back and they put some in, it is the best, the most efficient way of instantly making profit The downside being is you can't get it out straight away. Once it's in a pension, it does stay there until much later in life. Pensions, general principle, they are by far the most efficient way of investing. And starting early will give you the very best outcome during the whole of your financial life. Okay, so we've covered tax, savings and pensions. Is there anything else we should think about before we move on to the next life stage? Okay, before we move on completely, let's have a think about that word of savings. And I'm going to pull in the the final of the Pepsi principles in investment. What's the difference between these two things? So saving is when you build up a pot of money, typically just in the bank or a building society, which you're going to use at a future date. And that's probably all that needs to happen at this life stage. It's anticipating a future expense and putting money aside for it now. Investing happens when you have more than enough money saved up to meet those expected goals and financial objectives, maybe over the next two or three years. And then you want your money to work a bit harder for you. So rather than just leaving it in the bank, you want it to grow faster. That involves investment. It means putting your money to work, but it also comes with an element of risk and risk has a very big impact on your ability to invest money and the kinds of where you will invest. Actually, our next episode, we're going to talk much more about that. 
So I would generally say don't invest money. And investing means you're hoping to get higher rates of growth, but you might suffer, certainly in the short term, periods when it falls in value. And what you can't do is invest money that you know you need in the next few years, whether it's to pay for a holiday or a deposit on a house or buy a new car. You invest money that is long term, is beyond your immediate needs. And that's the difference between saving and investing. I'm looking forward to hearing more about investment next week. But at the moment, we're going to keep moving forward on to life stage number four, your first home. Okay, I want you to keep now in mind this principle that we go on a bit about, which is stewardship. That idea that everything you have has been given to you. And your goal as a Christian is to use wisely and in a way that pleases God all the stuff that you have. Now, you might find that with that mindset, your attitude towards buying your first home or in fact buying any home begins to change. In the world's eyes, the aim is to buy the biggest, fanciest, most expensive house on the best street. It's a real status symbol. So you take out the biggest mortgage you can possibly afford over the longest term you can possibly afford to keep the payments as low as they can be. And there are sometimes reasons why that's a good idea. Historically, property prices in the UK have gone up. And so property was a good investment. You would buy a property and then possibly make profit in the future. But it doesn't always work. There are plenty of people out there who have experienced times when the value of their property has fallen or even that they haven't been able to maintain payments on their mortgage, for example, because interest rates have risen. So when you're looking at buying a property, consider what is the property going to be used for? Do you need to work from home? Do you need space to grow a family in the future? Uh, Are you the kind of person who has been gifted with the ability to offer hospitality and entertainment, in which case maybe a big kitchen or a big dining room suits you? Think about the needs of the home, not just how big a house can I afford. Then consider this issue of affordability, not just what you can afford now, which might be you've got a job and you haven't yet got kids. But what happens when those other expenses do come along? Can you still maintain the payments? Now, it might not be buying a house with a mortgage. It might be committing to a rental property, which for many people, for many good reasons, is the right way to go. But renting over the long term means you're putting money aside that isn't building up your value. You're giving money to somebody else. They're making the profit. Once you've got the right kind of property in mind, can you afford to keep paying? Because if you can't afford to pay in the future, you might end up losing your home, which is really a big issue. One of the things we're facing just now is an ever increasing risk of interest rate rises. And so when you take out a mortgage, one of the things your lender will talk to you about is, can you afford to keep paying the mortgage if interest rates rise? Oh, you say, it's fine. I'll get a fixed rate mortgage. Well, yes, you can for two or three or even five years. But at the end of that period, when the fixed rate ends and the mortgage rate jumps up, what if you can no longer afford the house that you've been living in? It's your home. It's where your children are growing up. So I would always be cautious when it comes to buying property. Try and buy one property that you're living for a long time, not move too regularly. It's expensive moving house. Don't buy a house just because you can afford it. Buy the house that you need. Don't buy a house and take out the longest mortgage because it reduces the payments. It, It does, but it means you're paying the mortgage for a longer period. 
If you can keep your mortgage to a shorter period, if you can keep your payments down, you will save a lot of money in the long term. Does that make sense? It does. And it's left me a lot to think about. But we're going to keep moving on to life stage five, career progression. So if I am fortunate enough to have an earnings increase, what should I do with that? Okay. When your salary goes up, and and most people expect the salary will rise at some point in the future, consider again the impact on your need for protection. Do you need more protection now because your cost of living is going up? You've got more income, but you're spending more. So if your income stops, you need to replace more of it. Or maybe actually you need less protection because you've built up an emergency fund. You've got some savings in place. You know that your family could get by for a period if you didn't have any income coming in or heaven forbid, if you weren't around at all to provide that income. So consider protection. Consider your pension. A great approach, and I've recommended this to many, many people over the years, is that whenever you get a pay rise, allocate a bit more into your pension. Now, the way pensions normally work is that you put a percentage of your income into your pension. So typically it might be that you're putting 5% of your income into pension and your employer puts in, let's say, 3%. There are different kinds of pensions and we'll cover those in a future episode. But let's imagine you get a pay rise and let's imagine it's above inflation which would be nice at this time of year, but it doesn't always happen that way. You get a pay rise and you get a 3% real pay rise. It could be a promotion. It could be because you've been around the business a bit longer. You're more experienced. What I would suggest is that you could allocate 1% of your pay rise into your pension. So rather than paying 5%, you're now paying 6 but keep 2% of it. So you feel like you really are making a bit more money. The great thing with that is if you do that regularly, maybe not every year, but increase from five to six and six to seven, seven to eight percent into your pension, a point will come where you're putting in decent amounts of money into your pension, which gives you a lot more freedom and flexibility to choose when you want to retire in the future. And while we're on that topic of kind of setting money aside, when you have a pay rise, it's a great opportunity to build the habit of saving, of setting money aside, actually before you receive it. So I want you to imagine it's the the last day of the month and your pay slip comes in, your bank balance goes up. In that moment, the money's in your account, but you haven't spent it yet. If it just sits in your account, it's quite easy for it to get frittered away. It's there, it kind of gets spent on stuff. But if you can allocate some into a savings pot, possibly creating another bank account and a standing order, that on that first day of the month, a bit of your money, you choose to put aside And you're setting it aside for yourself, but it's for your future. So you can do the things that you want to do. You're helping build a discipline of saving and you're prioritizing the things that matter to you. And that might be Christmas and holidays and a new car. It might be paying for children's expenses in the future, like an education for them. The discipline is one of the things that most people find it hard to build into their lives. And then if you've managed to do all of those kind of things, you could then consider investing setting aside a regular pot of money on a monthly basis into investments, hoping they will grow over the longer term. Because at this stage in life, your expenses are generally a bit lower. They will get higher as time goes by. Having money set aside gives you the freedom in the future to do more of what you want and when you want to do it. But we'll talk more about that next week. 
Okay, so we're doing well. We've still got three life stages to go. And for those of you who are thinking, Bex, why aren't you slowing down? Why aren't you asking more detailed questions? Don't worry, because that is exactly what we'll be doing all the way through season two. And so you could um, email us or reach out to us on Instagram if you've got any specific questions you'd like us to cover in that. But on to life stage six, which is getting ready for retirement. And is retirement something that you can really get ready for? Yeah, it is in a couple of different senses. So retirement can mean two different things. It can mean stopping work and it can also mean taking your pension. And you don't have to do those two things at the same time. This is the moment when many people wish that one, they'd started planning their pension a lot earlier. And two, they often think, is it now time to get professional advice? So my top tips are these. Number one, get organised. Find out what pensions you've got, what savings and investments you've got. Pull it all together in a a spreadsheet or on a piece of paper. Finding out when your pensions are due to start paying because they can start at different ages. How much they might start paying out to you. What's the default age they start paying out? Can you go earlier or later? You can retire at the moment at any point from age 55. But the earlier you go, the less you'll get out of your pension pots typically. Uh, the earliest retirement age is going to be pushing back in the next few years to 57 and then a bit later on every year thereafter. Number two, check your state pension. There's a great service on the government website, gov.uk. It's called Check Your State Pension. Now, to get a full state pension, which is about £9,000 a year at the moment, you have to have worked for 35 qualifying years and have paid enough national insurance in those years. And the Check Your State Pension website shows you what years you've paid in enough, what years you haven't paid enough. And if you haven't got a full 35 years, and by the way, if you were raising children for some of those years, you get credits towards your state pension, national insurance credits. Well worth finding out about that as well. If you haven't got a full state pension, you can actually buy back additional years. You pay in a lump sum and you get an income from state pension age going forward. That can be a very efficient thing to do as well. And the next one, actually, it's not so much financial. It's more of a life choices thing. Think about what you're going to do in retirement. For many people, the big objective is not to have to work anymore. But that will leave you with an awful lot of spare time on your hands. So think about these kind of things. Do you have hobbies that you could do more of in retirement or things you'd like to take up or take up again in retirement now you've got this time? Have you got time to volunteer with the church or with a charity? Because if you don't fill your time with stuff like that, it can become very expensive filling your time, spending money, whether it's out having coffee or going and being active. So retirement comes with a reduction in income and possibly an increase in costs, at least in the early stage of retirement. So in general, I would say maybe five or even 10 years before that point when you'd like to get retired, Start planning, gather the information for that very best transition into retirement. And it might be that in those last few years, you realise you can throw a bit more money at your pension because it's the last and best opportunity to get money aside in a tax efficient way to provide you with that income you'll need when you stop working. Okay, so two more to go. And the next one is, funnily enough, retirement. So whether people listening have planned, are planning to retire, or it's just kind of happened overnight, unexpectedly, what should they be doing in this life stage? Yeah, so retirement can happen unexpectedly. It could be due to your health, or it could be due to an employment issue. 
no matter how superbly planned you had it. So make sure you've done those getting ready for retirement, gather the information, find out what you're entitled to. Actually, you might have got old pensions you're not aware of. If you've moved house or changed name, an old employer might have lost contact with you, an old pension scheme provider. So try and dig out that information first of all. Have you got old paperwork which tells you about a pension you used to have? Check if it's still there, if it's got some value for you. There's actually something called the Pension Tracing Service the government provides, which will help you find old pensions if you're not able to do so yourself. They might not be a huge amount of money every month or every year, but they can add up. And over potentially decades in retirement, it can be a lot of money and it's yours. Make sure you're getting it. Again, consider your own national insurance record. It's your last chance, certainly before state retirement age, to top up your state pension. Well worth looking into that. And then finally, keep an eye on your health. Things are about to change. Here's an opportunity to actually spend a bit more time on yourself, keeping your health and your welfare good, so you get the best quality of retirement, not just enough money in retirement, or a long retirement which you can't enjoy. And finally, the last life stage is what we're calling end-of-life planning. Okay, uh, potentially a sensitive one. For anyone who has lost a parent or a loved one, this stage in their life can be actually quite challenging. It's the process of putting your affairs in order. Not necessarily because you anticipate the end of your life, anticipate dying, but because you want to make sure that when you do die those who are left behind will have an easier job managing your affairs. It's complicated. It's time-consuming. It can be expensive. Many of the times I've lamented with friends and with clients about how difficult it is to deal with the financial affairs of a loved one at the same point as the emotional consequence of losing someone. So for the sake of those who are going to be left behind, Tidy up your finances while you can. Leave clear information for them. It's like a final gift to your beneficiaries. It's absolutely essential by this point to have a will in place and probably a power of attorney as well. We'll cover those in the future. In fact, I would say for anybody almost, wills and powers of attorney are really important. If you haven't got it by this stage, get it done. Also, practically, let your loved ones know, whether it's a spouse or children or friends, where you keep your important paperwork, or maybe even the password for your computer and and where your files are saved, your correspondence. And then simplify things. Don't have five bank accounts when one will do. That just makes it harder for them and actually harder for you as well. If you're married, make sure you've got joint bank accounts. It makes things a lot simpler if one person can still access the information. Or if you're single or widowed already, consider adding a child to your bank account. So they can actually help you manage your financial affairs in the later stages of your life. Don't dabble with investments for the fun of it, because it just makes it messy for somebody else to tidy it all up at the end of the day. Consolidate, simplify, get things into as neat a situation as possible. You can do the same thing sometimes with pensions, bringing them together into one place. Not all pensions work that way, but investigate. Maybe you can tidy your pensions up as well. If you have more money than you need. You're not going to spend it all during your lifetime. You've got some savings or investments left over. Consider giving it away before you die. I mean, when you die, it's all going to be given away, whether to your beneficiaries or some to the taxman. But giving money now to family or to charities, it actually gives you more pleasure seeing your money being used for a good purpose rather than it just gets passed on when you're dead. 
this is in fact your last chance to store up treasure in heaven. And as we know where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Absolutely. What a great way to finish our Life Stages two-parter. I can't actually believe how many Life Stages you managed to cram into that episode. (laughs) And I can see why there is so much more we have to unpack here. So we've got one more episode coming up in this season. And then we're going to take a short break. But we'll be returning with a double bill of two seasons running at the same time, which I know you're thinking sounds both amazing and slightly confusing. So one series will be focused on each of these life stages and we'll commit a full episode to each one to explore that in detail. And then every other week, we're going to be looking at some of the practicalities of financial planning in more detail. So hopefully between those two series, you'll be able to find something to catch your interest as we go along. But Simon, before we finish, can you tell us what's coming up in our final episode of Series 1? Absolutely. So next week, we're going to talk about investment strategies. Now, this is our introductory series, our first season. So I'm not going to go into great depth about the technicalities of investing. But in fact, I'm going to try and cover the essentials. So those who are just starting out, potentially getting their their first pension scheme with their first job, or those who are just starting to have enough money to think about investing. And in fact, to be honest, anybody at any stage can benefit from what we'll talk about next week. Can you get a better understanding of the essentials that you need to know to invest wisely? Thanks, Simon. That's all we have time for today. So I hope you'll join us next week for the final episode in season one of Where Your Treasure Is. Thanks, Bex, and goodbye from me. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go.